Welcome to episode 971 of The Sleeper in the Bus. I am Justin Mason, joined as always on Sunday by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, got out for a good old hike yesterday, put some pictures on Twitter. Um, it, we're getting closer to the weather being really nice for hiking season. Yesterday was a bit of a, a slog, though, because it was uh, sunny. Uh, and I, I chose a place that it's got some elevation. And the picture you can see me on Twitter, I'm sweating through my RotoWare shirt. Which, by the way, nobody knew what it was. Everybody wanted to stop me on the trail. Like, what does your shirt mean? <laughs> and I had to explain it. And Oh, okay. Because I passed you on the other way around. And was, we've been talking about, like, trying to figure out your shirt. I'm like, I'm a baseball nerd. What can I say? <laughs> uh, d- did you notice the Justin Mason face in the background? Of your Kenny's head? amazing. Yeah, I know. Kenny is amazing. He's, he's the best. He's, he's <laughs> absolutely the best. <laughs> It took him like I posted the picture and within two minutes he's got your face on the rock. Yeah, it, no, he, he he's so good at what he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh joining us today uh as well is a special guest. It is Matt Williams. Matt, how you doing, my friend? Yeah, pretty good. I am I'm excited in this weird time between when everyone is uh, starting, everyone that has done poorly this year in fantasy baseball starts to crawl their way over to fantasy football. But we're still hanging in there for fantasy baseball towards championship season. Oh my God, I got a draft next weekend. I just yeah. remembered that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm in three slow drafts, or no, sorry, I'm in five slow drafts right now, uh, and one of them is a three sport. The other the other four are football. So. Those will end soon in the baseball so world. So who's the so, guys letting this clock milk out to the last possible? Oh second. my god, dude! This is is the un- It's unbelievable how slow this draft is. <laughs> it is the slowest draft I've ever been a part of, um, and I, I'm losing my mind. So for for those who don't know, I, I said on Twitter, uh, uh, there's a there's a uh, special place in hell for people who use all of their clock on the turn in a slow draft. And when I mean that, I mean like the pick from the end of the last round and then wait another four hours to make their pick of the, you know, first pick of the uh, next round. Um, And this draft was already slow. And now this guy is doing this every time. Um, He's actually going to be up here pretty soon. Uh, And I'm going to be pulling. We're in the ninth round. Um, this draft has been going since Monday, July. <laughs> it's, I mean, we're we're averaging like around a day, um, in an NFBC uh, four hour four hour draft, and I, I'm, I, I, it's actually sped up. I had complained in the chat. I was like, I, yeah. uh, I, I drafted uh, for the underdog drafts. You know, have have mm-hmm. either of you done the best ball like the puppy bolt drafts that they have? I have not. Um, one day I got bored and I'm like, all right, I just joined 10 of these things <laughs> at once because they're all eight hour freaking clocks. So I'm like, I'll just throw them all on there and I'll have something to do for quite a while. That was three weeks ago. I am still three, uh, five of them are still going on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this draft, um, this draft is going to be one of those drafts. They actually have to speed up, uh, because, uh, they, they won't, they won't finish in time for the start of the season otherwise because it's it's just going so slow um and it's it's a guillotine draft uh and for those who don't know what that is um it is uh you the the lowest scoring team each week is eliminated um and they do this for for baseball as well uh and uh we've been talking about in the discord uh that we're going to uh put one of these together for next season because it seems like a whole lot of fun but that means it's a 17 team draft so now you have now you not only are you know drafting with slow people, there's 17 people to be drafting with, or 16 others. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's been brutal. Um, and uh, I don't I don't know who you are, Bigelow, but you're on my shit list. I hope he listens. So. <laughs> do, do you think is is it a matter of he like does he like time out from time to time, or he literally just uses the entire clock picks, then uses entire clock picks? Yeah, yeah, no, no. He um he is not timed out as far as I can tell, and I'm the one who's picking right next to him. Oh no! So I have to wait like the eight hours. Sometimes it's been six and a half hours, you know, where he picks after three out or three and a half hours, and then he waits another three hours to make his next pick. Well, maybe there'll be breaking news just after he makes his second pick, and you can just rub that in his face. Oh, well, in all seriousness, <laughs> that's what I was wondering. That's what he was doing is like, especially over the weekend where these preseason games are happening. And you're like, you're worried, like, I want to take this guy. Oh, God, he got hurt on the one drive he was playing. But enough football. Let's get back to baseball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt is covering football. You also cover a ton of baseball uh, around the industry. So uh, give us a little rundown of what you're doing nowadays. Uh, all my baseball work is over at NBC Sports Edge. Uh, I do a lot of the uh, if you, the news desk work. If you see anything that looks overly sarcastic, that's probably me. Um, but other than that, I do a weekly uh, column over there called By the Numbers, where I just kind of I try to break down some uh, advanced stuff for people to look forward to, especially down the stretch here. I've been trying to coach people through, you know, if if you if you have the ability to maybe overlook your batting average or power, like, you know, some, some fun speed options. Like I, I've been trying to like help people maybe navigate certain categories going down the stretch here. Nice. I, I, I always love your, your snarky, um, uh, write-ups over at, uh, NF, uh, NBC sports edge. Uh, <laughs> cause I read them every day and then you throw your really good ones into our little chat we've got. So yeah. always... by the way, if anyone needs speed, Derek Hill leading off of the tigers today. So fun. Oh, Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to talk. Need, if you need speed and nothing else, sorry. <laughs> I mean, go 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 get Jorge Mateo. He's still out there. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some news and some notes, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, some hitters. Some have been like you know really really good players. Uh, you know, like my boy Cedric Mullins. Some have not been so good, like Cody Ballinger. And I want to see where you guys are at for next year. Because uh, some of these some of these guys are going to be a little bit hard to rank. So, but first, let's start with uh, the news. Uh, Kenta Maeda leaves his start uh, yesterday with forearm tightness. Uh, this is uh, concerning. Uh, I, I'm guessing this means he's droppable for rest of this season if he does end up on the IL mat. But where are you taking him next year, or are you just going to like leave him off your board? No, I'm actually not. I think this will give us a nice discount. Like last year, he pitched at Cy Young level, but we knew that um, he's never seen that maybe that kind of workload before. The Dodgers always treated him with kid gloves, and he threw like a ton of sliders. So there were there were worries, but I was actually invested this year because I thought where he was going, it was possibly worth it. Um, he has this he has this uh, reputation for being so injury prone, but in six years, he's only been on the IL four times and it hasn't even been lengthy for any of them. None of them have been arm injuries. Obviously this is an arm injury. So we're going to want to know more information with how serious this is. Uh, Rocco Baldelli said that it looks like it could be a lengthy thing. The twins have, you know, are not competing, so he probably won't be back. So uh, cheating answer is I need to know more and see how serious this is because I don't think he, I am still going to keep him on my board if this isn't too bad because I think some people in their mind have him as, as this just horribly, you know, unhealthy pitcher where in, in, in reality he he's never actually had arm trouble before. So I just I need to know more, but I mean I I think I'm not as worried as like maybe the average person. 
Jason, what about you? Are you, are you worried about this short term, long term? Uh, I'm with Matt. You got to get some more data to see where things are. I mean, they got to shut him down for the rest of the year. There's no reason to let him go out. Just look at this. I mean, this has been the same thing. At least the Mets are still trying to hold on to some playoff hope with DeGrom uh, and a similar injury that's now had him out now, what, six weeks? Yeah. And we, yeah. we don't know. And he may not even pitch again this season. And um, he's not the only team. My only team has just died on the vine. It was in first place, losing Kershaw and DeGrom. And it's just, I'm so depressed. But anyhow, getting back to Maeda, <laughs> uh, you know, we, when we look at it, though, it's like, this will be three times in five seasons as ERA has been over four. Uh, and since his high watermark for his workload was his rookie season here on the state side. But since then, 134, 125, 154, and 106 now. Uh, this year uh, and you know discounting last year even if you were to extrapolate what he could have done last year it would have been about 155 160 so i mean once 155 160 is a new 180 the way baseball is played right now but we're still talking about a guy who's got a ERA over four in three of the last five seasons uh with it and so he you know he's a number one on that team but in reality he is like a sp low sp3 in my book uh, and not somebody I want to, even if the news were to come out good on this, not somebody that I want to go out there and be like, oh, he's a low SP two. No. Yeah. I mean, like, do, would... do you think he'll drop to like, you know, like where Frankie Montas ish was going this year? Do you think he'll go to that area of the draft? That's where I'd be interested. But do you think that he, his name, do you think he'll still get pushed up higher than that? Assuming everything is like, okay, ish. I with think he'll be arm? lower than that. You, you think he'll be, you think he'll be drafted a lot earlier? No, I think yeah, he'd be drafted were still lower. High on Montas coming into the season. I mean, people were still up there on him. Um, you know, coming into the season, even though he had shown the volatility, it gets back to something we'll talk about a little bit later, where some people have a, a and I don't know if it's like the, the pitching ninja tax or you know, you, you see video like, oh my god, look at the potential of this this pitch. This could be amazing, right? And in in a, in a vacuum, guys could look awesome, but on on a whole. There, there are there are warts there that have to be overcome. And with Montas, yeah, the splitter was incredible. And it was fun if you were on the front end of that Montas train. But you go back and look at some of the preseason data, like where he was going. Um, he was a top 60 pitcher. He went as high as 101 and had ADP of 164 during draft season. Uh, and you look at, you know, you try to look back at where some of the other names uh, the thing is, the way pitching has fallen apart this year, it's like I'm scrolling down the list trying to look for guys you may have missed out on because you chased Montas. And quite frankly, you didn't miss out on much. I mean, there's so many other, he's hurt, he's hurt, he's out, he's hurt, he's done, he didn't. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it was kind of like he was appropriately placed based on where he's being drafted only because so much behind him, except maybe like Tyler Molly. That's one guy who has outperformed Montas, but he was the next guy on the list. It's not like you missed out on much. Or uh, uh, that guy, Otani, I think you pronounce his last name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, pretty he good. Went, he went one round after after Frankie Montas. I think that's the only reason I picked the Montas level of the draft, because it's right after the Patrick Corbin area, where I figure it's one of these, like, where people take these name-ish guys that had helium at some point and they all bunch up together in the middle before people tar- tar- start taking sleepers and start taking shots on these guys that's kind of why i identified that area well there's a chris bassett uh yeah there's chris bassett sitting uh 30 picks after and that was a that was a miss if you took the upside like in a vat you watch the two guys pitch you're like oh man give me montas he throws harder he's got the great splitter i'll take him all day long over bassett and that's why there was the bassett hound group this year because we're like okay fine we'll just take this guy sitting down 
down there that's been pitching well uh, since August of 2019. Uh, and unfortunately, until his last outing uh, has been really good this year. Uh, wasn't like he wasn't uh, wasn't like he wasn't good in his last outing. He just didn't get a chance to finish it. I hope he's doing good in his recovery. Yeah, that I mean, that's a huge bummer for him to finish the season that way. I'm hoping mm-hmm. he can make it back at some point for the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, he's probably done that. I yeah, I, I'm with you guys, uh, or I'm, I'm with Matt on my. Uh, I, I I think he's going to come at a, a a nice little discount coming into 2022. If he's going outside of that top 150, 175 area, uh, I'll, I'll be getting lots of lots of shares. Like I, I don't think by any stretch that he is uh, done. Uh, I mean, obviously we have to wait for the injury news to clear, and um, if he doesn't pitch again this season. Uh, that could make him extremely cheap coming into next season because uh, people won't will, will see the bad performance, but also haven't <laughs> he'll have been injured uh, to end the season. So, all right, uh, let's uh, let's move on to the next set of news. Uh, Fran, uh, Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez are returning from the IL. This is special for Matt because <laughs> Matt is a Mets fan. How excited are you about these guys returning? What can we expect from the rest of the way and what are you thinking about for them in terms of their value for next season? Uh, as far as rest of the way, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, Lindor really started to kind of pick it up, but this, you know, this derailed all possible um, momentum. And uh, with him coming off an oblique and the Mets, by the time he comes back, I mean, they're like seven out. Um, he could be coming back any day now, but um, they they could be pronounced dead in their own minds sooner rather than later. And I don't think they're going to want to take their 10, you know, their decade long contract and, and try to push it too far. So I would be a little worried if you're, if you're hoping Lindor is going to carry you over the finish line this year, uh, because it would require him to both catch fire and play every day, which I do think he'll play most days, but I think there's also a chance he'll be getting, you know, he, he played literally every day. Like he never had a day off in the beginning of the season. I don't think that'll be case down the stretch and Javier Baez. I mean, yeah, he, he'll, he is what he is um, not to throw that horrible saying out there, but you know, he's going to strike out a ton as long as strikeouts don't bother you. The, the home runs and stolen bases will be there and he'll be, I think a nice boost as far as next year. Uh, Javier Baez is exactly who we thought he was going to be. Um, so I don't think there's any change there. Francisco Lindor obviously took a, a huge hit. I think he will be a massive bargain um, next year <laughs> uh, because I think that uh, a lot of the uh, background statistics and just what you saw over the last few years, he, ac- he actually had fantastic plate discipline coming into uh, like the first half when he was just like so awful. He actually had the be- best plate discipline, best chase rate of his entire career. So I think going into next year, which should I think be a revamped, Mets team, it wouldn't surprise me if they overturn half their offense, um, meaning like Dominic Smith, J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil. A lot of guys are like possibility of not coming back, but he obviously will be there. Steve Cohen's going to spend a lot of money on this offense. So in like a dynasty, I'd look to buy low on Lindor if possible. Javier Baez is just kind of lateral. Jason, what are your thoughts on both these guys? Yeah, not much to add there at all. I, I think with Lindor, I don't think we can understate the disappointment that that's been this year, considering uh, he was a top 20 player by ADP. And you look at current, like he is the 156th most valuable player in fantasy right now. And I think that's just hitting. That's, a, that's yeah, that's 156 most valuable hitter. I'm not even including pitchers. Uh, so that's where it really hurts I mean, we know what the uh, we know. There's a pretty 
substantial miss rate on those early and those top 25, 30 picks. And they're supposed to be a foundation for your, you know, you're going to get enough production to offset some of the risk associated, but that's the, that's kind of a season killer right there. When you take a guy in the top 20 and, and he's performing as a top 150, not even a top 150 hitter. Uh, and so next year you would assume that's where the bargain comes into play. We all like to look for the, last year's trash this year's treasure it just you have to wonder like the the team i'm looking at this was the adp for online drafts somebody took them 101 so somebody out there is like yeah i got him at 101 don't i feel really good uh but he even fell short of that but it's like I'm, you're gonna see him hanging out down there below and maybe with bias even then uh he becomes a value because this if you had any reservations you heading into this year you're like i'm gonna give him another chance and then this year he has like mostly solidified what you believed about him uh and so i don't see his his place moving as much uh as i do lindor's and i'll be curious to see how far he falls down uh from his top 20 stature to you know where he where he's in the bottom top 20 of the top 100 rather than the top Hey, just a quick reality check question for the audience, just for you two. I'm just curious. Who would who do you think will end up being drafted first next year? The number four shortstop in ADP, at least NFBC leagues this year, was Lindor for OC leagues. Number 16 was Marcus Simeon. Uh, we don't know where Simeon's going to land. Maybe he just stays in Toronto. Uh, who do you think actually gets taken first, Lindor or Simeon next year? Simeon, because yeah, he's going to be second base eligible, which really, really boosts him up. And he's, okay, I was he's just, got I just that curious. Massive I, track record too. I mean, I agree. It's a great, it's a, it's a great question. He's just got such a great track record of what he's, what he's capable of. Uh, and he's the type of guy. It's, you know, everybody wants to chase the sexy. And you know, maybe this year, maybe Simeon's finally sexy. I mean, the, the great thing about him previously is that he just played a bunch and he got his numbers. Well, then this year he's got the 30 homers because he's had some really nice ballparks to play in this year. Oh, and he threw in the 13 steals uh, and oh, he's got the run scored. So he's got all of the different pieces and it's taken like this year on this one year contract that he's had to uh, to to get the notice that he you know, that he deserves. And it'll be mm-hmm. curious to see where things go, because. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about yet another th- last three full seasons, 600 plus plate appearances, another 30 home run season, another double digit stolen base season. He just keeps doing it. Um, but there's not another le- like this is his peak. So you have to expect uh, a back step next year unless uh, unless the pandemic extends and they have to play their games uh, in an even friendlier park. Uh, than what he got to enjoy this year, but you know this is the the, the East Coast. The East Coast spotlight bias finally uh, got his way. Yeah, yeah it, may, it may it may depend on where he lands, right? If he stays in Toronto, it'll be easier. I I, I only say this because jokingly, uh, I think if Simeon does jump him, uh, I think Lindor ends up close to Javier Bias, uh, a lot closer to Bias. And like he was fourth this year, I think he ends up being drafted, uh, really, you know, maybe just a couple of spots in front of Bias as far as shortstops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I've already pulled, I pulled the trigger on him in my three sport draft. Uh, I took him in the 11th round. Uh, and for context, that would be top 20, uh, in terms of, uh, the overall for, for baseball. So I, I'm going to be high on him. I'm always, you know, those who've listened for, for a while have known about my love for, for Marcus Simeon for, for a number of years. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I took him in the top 20 of, of the three sport draft in terms of the baseball players. Okay. 
let's see. Let's move on. Diego Castillo to the IL. Uh, the, so the question becomes, and Jason uh, popped up a little thing, I think, uh, saying uh, that it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for very long. But in the meantime, Jason, who closes in Seattle? Paul Seawald? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I would think it's either him or Steckenrider. Uh, yeah, I, I have the Steckenrider. I have Steckenrider nail talent, and that's been fun. Uh pick up for the last month uh with that but i would it's been both i've seen i've seen sticker rider and seawald both uh get saves or even late decisions where uh seawall came our second rider came in in the late game and got uh, got the win for it uh but they're saying nothing structural with castillo but i believe this is the second this is the same thing that put him on the il with the rays uh early on in the season was just shoulder fatigue and you know when we talked about him at the trade uh, and my concerns about him, but the, that the velocity has been in decline with him uh, this year. Um, even before he hit the IL the first time, it was noticeable. Then he came back and was looking a little bit better. Uh, but we, you know, we mentioned Jason Hanselman's article about the fact that with the velocity of his slider being diminished, it gives that pitch more time to run out of the strike zone, and then he's become super slider heavy as a result of not being able to command that sinker. Uh, anymore. So, you know, again, at some point, some of these teams that aren't, but even well, Seattle's still Seattle's closer to the playoff than the Mets are. Sorry, Matt. Um, you know, they're still <laughs> hanging around. They're still four games out because Boston keeps losing and it's glorious. Uh, so yeah, I can't say shut them down, but when the, when he was with Tampa Bay, they took their time bringing him back uh, to make sure he was uh, fresher. So it, whoever gets this job, if it's a, if it's a job share, it could be a, you know, it, we know it's at least going to be 10 days, but maybe it goes on for a little longer than that. Matt, uh, are you in agreement on who uh, be the kind of next man up? Yeah. I mean, I think that if one is rostered, feel in your desperate, feel free to roster the other. I think it could be a shared thing, but when all else fails, go, go with the one who's striking batters out. Second rider, 48 innings, 46 strikeouts. Seawald, 41 innings, 67 strikeouts. He seems like the more natural fit for the closer position. He's the better option for fantasy. So he'd be my one to second rider too. Yep. In complete agreement. Uh, Akil Badu hits the IL uh, with a concussion. Uh, this, this gives us an opportunity to talk about one. Are, are we going to be dropping Akil Badu uh, right now, uh, considering he's out and there's not a ton of time left? Uh, but two, where he kind of fits in next year's uh, draft plans, because he's been a fun player to watch. Uh, Matt, what do you think about Akil Badu? Uh, I do think that it's probably safe uh, to drop him because the Tigers are obviously have no problem um, dealing with uh, – like service time and things like that. They don't, they don't mind bringing up rookies and playing them and, but they have nothing to, they have nothing to play for. Therefore they probably don't want to take it um, too much risk with Badu, who obviously has shown to be very valuable. He's 10 home runs, 14 stolen bases this year. And I think that he will probably, he's one of the few players that are definitely in their foreseeable plans uh, to start. And I guess in the outfield for the future. So as far as next year, I mean, I would think you'd look at his teammate, Robbie Grossman, as far as where I, I don't know. I mean, Grossman has track record of not being as good. Therefore, he was getting discounted more this season because people didn't believe it. Uh, but do this is his first time peeking his head out in the majors. So I assume people will have more 
uh, helium on him. So I would assume that he's just like a rich man's Robbie Grossman going into next year. That's kind of where I think he'd go. I would be wary. I mean, look at his teammate, Willie Castro. Um, you, uh, there was kind of a similar excitement after him doing well. Obviously, this is over 300 at bats, a lot more games. But uh, I like Badu. Um, tw- you know, I, I think everything we've seen is is pretty legitimate out of him. What about you, Jason? You like Badu? The uh, the Willie Castro comment was like really spot on because uh, that's I mean he looks so good in 2020 uh, even at, at the with the numbers with the eye test and then just has not produced this year. But Badu is. He's currently a top 50 outfielder. Uh, you know, he's just in front of Kike uh, Hernandez. I'm going by anybody who's got outfield eligibility. Kike Hernandez, Manny Margot, Josh Rojas, Mike Yastrzemski, Dylan Carlson. So the the beauty of Detroit, and we've talked about it, this on this podcast uh, a few times, is like with Grossman in particular, they love to go get vets and just give them a bunch of playing time. And that's where I found Robbie Grossman to be extremely undervalued this year. It's like when they went out and got him, you knew he was going to play because that's what they do. Uh, And same thing with Jonathan Scope. Both of those guys were just afterthoughts on draft days, and they've both been tremendous pickups for people if you were taking them on your bench uh, with that. But with you know the sophomore slump uh, is – it's it's out there. It's it's mostly pseudoscience to begin uh, for the most part. But when it does apply to some folks, you're like, hey, see, I told you so. And with the with some of the guys that are going down the down the chart, if you look down, there's a lot of depth here. So are, am I going to take Badu as a top 50 outfielder next year? No, uh, I, this is where I would go back and start looking for some more of those track record types um, that we talked about. Uh, with that, like a, a good example may be like, hey, do you are you willing based on current production, you know, based on what they've done this year, Badu is the four is the 48th outfielder. Jorge Soler is 72nd. Uh, I'm sorry, 75. He's just in the top 75 on the outfielders. Uh, you know, he has shown some resurgence here with Atlanta after looking ass most of the year in Kansas City. Uh, but like which one to steal Matt's bit earlier audience here of, of two, which one are you willing to take next year first? Solaire or Badu? Uh, it'll be Solaire for me, depending on where he lands, because I believe he's a free agent uh, at mm-hmm. the end uh, end of the year. But it's, yeah, it'll I mean, I I know like Badu steals bases and that has value. I, I really worry about the underlying skills. I mean, we're 267 batting average, but a um, an XBA of 215 because you know, he, he swings and misses so much. Um, and I just, I worry about like the hit tool kind of cratering on him. I, I think there'll be power. I think there'll be speed, but I, I the fact, the idea that he's going to hit above like the league average batting average next year, uh, I think is uh, a bit foolhardy. It's tricky for me because I mean, my favorite way to draft is the death by a thousand paper cuts in terms of I don't like to, I like to draft a bunch of people who steal a few bases each. So if I lose one, I'm not in a giant hole. And this is the depending on where he how expensive he is. Uh, this is the kind of player I would go for, like the Ramon Laureano's. But I obviously don't trust him as much as Laureano, even though Laureano was suspended. But depending on if they're going late, these are the kind of guys I love to load up on in the outfield. I don't necessarily like to draft zeros um, in, in either uh, home runs or stolen bases. I love these guys that give you both. I agree with everything you guys the world are going if that is the vicinity uh, and then there's other you know where your people are starting to take your favorite sleepers like jesse winker i may take a shot there because by then um there's not too many of those like 
guys that have the power and speed. Like I said, Robbie, that's why I kind of throw out Robbie Grossman last year. You're going to have to pay more for Badu than you did for Grossman. But at that point in the draft, um, I kind of like to pick up guys like this. But yeah, it'll depend on where the market decides they like him. Right. Uh, to add one more former teammate, the 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 floor, Jacoby Jones. Uh, yeah, uh, and then that's the I, problem. I like Jacoby Jones so much for like a week last year. I was all in. <laughs> that's the like, problem. The floor, Jacoby Jones. This guy ninth, justice for Jacoby. <laughs> uh, Nelson Cruz, uh, he goes to the IL uh, for COVID-related issues. Uh, we don't quite know yet if he was just exposed uh, to someone who has COVID or if he tested positive uh, himself. Get him out of your lineups for right now. And hopefully we'll get more information prior to lineup setting on uh, Monday. Um, but uh, the question, I think, becomes, uh, one, do we think Nelson Cruz is going to play another season? And two, where would you draft him next year, Jason? Uh, yeah, I think he's going to play another season. I mean, but let's be as excited as I was for him to come to Tampa Bay. He honestly has not done much. Uh, you know, he has struck out 31% of the time. Uh, he has hit better on the road than he has at home. He has hit better against the Orioles than he has every other team in baseball. Uh, and he's hitting 198, 257, 448 with Tampa Bay. I mean, these are this is reality. Uh, I, I'm still not saying get rid of him. Uh, yeah, this could be the same type of situation that that uh, Rosarena was in two weeks ago, where he you know he's back in five days, uh, type of thing. I say in the short in the short term of things, this allows Austin Meadows to get back to DH, which is a good thing because I mean, although he did throw out a runner at plate on Friday, uh, it's a better outfield when it's not Austin Meadows playing in the outfield. Uh, so allowing him to DH uh, for the next few days will be uh, nice, although this does also solve the problem uh, of Nelson Cruz playing in the field because they're playing in Philadelphia this week. The Rays have a five-game week this week with two games in Philadelphia and three in Baltimore. Uh, and so there was talk about him potentially playing some first base, uh, but obviously that's probably off the table. Uh, for the time being now, uh, where am I going to draft Nelson Cruz next year? I won't have to because he never comes to me. He's never there. By the time I'm like, all right, I'm going to have Nelson Cruz. Uh, I, I have never been able to get Nelson Cruz on one of my rosters. It just never happens. Somebody's always willing to pay more than I am. Uh, and and I'm always I think like I'll set a number like, oh, this is going to be a year. I'm going to twenty four dollars and somebody's going twenty eight. Uh, it, it never fails that somebody's more aggressive than I am. Uh, or even when I'm looking at, you know, I'm sitting there uh, on the wheel. I'm like, okay, he's going to make it to me. And he goes a pick before me, two picks before me. Every year it happens. So I never reach for him anymore. Although his first year I, I took him in the eighth round because this this guy's going to be a stud. And he was, but I didn't have to take him in the eighth round. I did. It was a learning experience. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I really can't answer that question because he never, he always goes more than uh, he always goes a little bit earlier than I'm willing to take him, uh, which is usually the uh, I'm a believer until he's until he fails me. But this little bump here since this trade concerns me because we haven't seen this level of struggle from him in quite some time. Matt, where would you be willing to take Nelson Cruz or are you probably going to be fading him next year? Every single season, I get up on my high horse and tell everyone in the world to not pass on Nelson Cruz as he's the most underrated player in fantasy. And then I never draft him. So I'm a hypocrite. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, it comes to me, same as Jason. I'm like, oh, he's such a value, such a value. And I never get him. Someone always likes him, just like Jason says. Someone always likes him more than me. I always find a reason not to take him. Um, so I, I tell everyone the reasons to take him. And then when it gets to me, I'm like, ah, oh, he's older and he doesn't give me any stolen bases. I don't want him. So uh, next year, no doubt, I'll probably backtrack and tell everyone he's still a value and then not take him. So um, for anyone who wants to listen to honest Matt right now, I'm not taking him next year. So uh, take that for what it's worth. The, the floor is going to fall out eventually and I'm going to bet on it being next year. I'll probably be wrong. Uh, even though he continues to be a value, I never, ever draft him. So I guess my, my brain tells me to draft him. My heart tells me not to. How dare you say that Nelson Cruz is not a stolen base asset. He has <laughs> three stolen bases this year. Uh, the most he's had in a season since 2015. That Those three stolen bases are more than Max Muncy has this year, more than Carlos Correa has this wait, year. Wait, now more than discuss, Cesar Hernandez has this year. Can yeah. we discuss the elephant in the room of why he stinks in Tampa Bay? He left his pants in Minnesota, yeah. which I believe Miguel Sano put him on, and he's been in Fuego, and he even stole a base. So I think we need to investigate. We need the umpires to investigate Nelson Cruz's pants. Let, let's not lights. because I think he's Wally Adamas in the lights again. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's, uh, it's there. I mean, yeah, I think the, it's a the, thing. The home road splits uh, are problem. He's having trouble adjusting. And like I yeah. said, it's legit. He's beating up on Baltimore. His numbers, if you were to take away the the series he had at uh, at Oriole Park, uh, and even the three run homer he hits, he's put up a bunch of his Tampa Bay numbers against Baltimore. Um. I, I like Matt every year uh, talk about how much I love Nelson Cruz and uh, and the value. Unlike Matt, though, I draft him every year. Um, <laughs> and uh, I will continue to be doing that uh, because every year, you know, 80% of the industry says, well, this is the year. He's too old. He's 40-something. He's going to break down. And every year he just gives you back, uh, you know, value in terms of where you draft it. 26 home runs so far this season, 270 batting average. Yeah. The, the numbers since being traded to Tampa Bay uh, are uh, are disappointing, but I doubt he ends up back in Tampa Bay next year. Oh, no. So. <laughs> I had hope early on. It's like, hey, because he, he's a super nice dude, all the charity work he does. I'm like, oh, he'd be a perfect fit. It's what he uh, – and there, there's not a chance. Uh, I would be stunned if he ended up coming back uh, to the club because – it's you know again the it's been night and day uh, the production level of, of what we have uh, seen on uh, at home. I was trying to pull up the actual numbers. Uh, what he's done at home since the trade: uh, two twenty-two, two sixty-five, three fifty-six, two home runs, seventeen strikeouts in forty-five at bats. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, he's. The, I don't think he's coming back. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up back in Minnesota, honestly. But uh, we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll be drafting him again next year. Oh, he's only hitting one seventy six on the road. <laughs> Fewer strikeouts, but five home runs. Mm. All right, let's. Uh, let's going to struggle. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about some other guys and where we're going to rank them next year. And when we have a discussion about, uh, you know. Anybody who has overperformed uh, in 2021 uh, compared to kind of what everybody thought he would uh, do, we we start off with my boy Cedric Mullins, um, who has 21 home runs, 22 stolen bases, hitting 309, 371, 526. Uh, the question is, and I'll start with you, Jason, 
where are we going to be drafting Cedric Mullins? Because he's performing like a first rounder. It's just hard to see anybody who, uh, you know, was drafted outside of the top 500 the next season becoming a first round pick. Yeah, that's what it's insane. Uh, to remind folks, his ADP during draft season was 513. 513. Uh, that would, he was not even being taken in 12 team mixed leagues. Uh, that puts him outside of a 15 team mixed league. Uh, and unless you took him in the final round, I mean, just by average. So he was only going in draft champions uh, uh, formats, and that's where he was going. But he is currently the fourth most valuable outfielder behind Teoscar Hernandez, Whit Merrifield, and Jordan Alvarez uh, by earned auction values uh, this year, which is just insane uh, what he's been able to put up. But I agree. It's like when you're talking to somebody, I'm sure there's an answer out there, but I can't fathom somebody that was outside the top 500 going inside the top 100 the, uh, the following season. And, you know, so the same points that we talked about with, uh, with Badu and Detroit, they apply to Baltimore. Mullins can go out there and play every day his body allows him to. There is absolutely nothing. And it's, I mean, we knew Baltimore was going to be bad coming into the season, but they are, if, if you could relegate a team to a lower league, like say, you've got it, you got to go, you're out. Uh, and then they've lost 17 straight. They've been outscored by a hundred runs in August alone. That's how bad things have been, but he's out there balling every day. Um, you know, and so he's got, he's already got his 2020 season under a belt. He's already hitting for the average. So even if you try to bake some things out, it still gets back to, you know, maybe he gets taken right around uh, Marcus Simeon uh, because again, he's, he has the, uh, you know, he has the, the, the quantity out there. So even if he does struggle, if his average slides back in closer to 270 than the 309 that it is right now, he's still going to put up numbers just because of the volume, as long as he stays healthy. Uh, and there is value in that, as we've seen this year for the guys that have been able to stay healthy and stay on the field, production matters. Uh, and so with him, I'm not going to fault anybody for taking him in the top 100. But yeah, there's been a lot of volatility in the outfield position this year. Some of it due to injury. Some of it just due to not being able to, to hold it up, like uh, hold up expectations. So like example, like I said, there's Mullins, the fourth most valuable outfielder, and then a lot of darling coming into the season. Right now, Rosarena is the 22nd most valuable outfielder. Am I going to fault somebody if they go out and take Mullins in front of Rosarena uh, next year? Absolutely not. I can't fault them for doing that. Now, are you holding the, like two steps down? We got Hunter Renfro is now a top 25 outfielder based on production. Uh, or if, if you take Renfro in front of Mullins, am I going to fault you? I'm absolutely going to fault you for doing that. <laughs> uh, so it's, there are different things around there like that. Uh, so that the position as itself has been extremely volatile this year because, you know, Mookie Betts is outside the top 30 in outfield, but his body has failed him. Kyle Schwarber uh, is is barely hanging in the top 40. Stanton has got outfielder eligibility, which helps him because he's not utility only. But these are the types of names that are further down the chart, but there's been a lot of risk and injury at the position this year. So um, I could see Mullins making a significant jump, but let's be real, he's earned it. And and the fact that he can stay out there and play every day and still put up these numbers on a really bad team speaks to his potential. Matt, where would you start considering taking him? Is he is he a first rounder, second rounder, third rounder, fifth rounder? Like it's it's so hard to peg where a guy like Mullins, who had like pretty much no track record, 
busting on the scene and having a season like this. So where where would you start looking? I I like him, I think, a little more than Jason was saying. Um, what do you guys feel about Randy Rosarina's price this year for 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 just an example before I get started? Did either of you like where he's going? Because this I is did. this is maybe entrapment because I'm looking at a TGFBI my league and Jason's in it, and you I took, took Randy at 51. Um, I like Mullins more than I like Randy last year, uh, so I think I think um, I think Mullins is a top. 20 outfielder easily. I, I think I draft him in the top 15. I'd wait until Starling Marte is off the board. Um, but I like him right around that range, like maybe top 50. Yeah, I, 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 I love, I love the volume. Balls. Like I said, I agree. When you look at the volume of what he's capable of doing, uh, you know, for him to – I mean, he's had his 2020 season now for, what, two-plus weeks? I mean, he it didn't need much of August to get that 2020 under his belt. By the end of the, he could be 30-30 by the end of it. And, and again, again, it all comes back to volume and the fact he's going to hit high in the lineup every year. I mean, it's, we mentioned Whit Merrifield. I mean, he's the second most valuable player by outfield because of what he's doing with steals this year. I mean, he's not hitting with the power and he's only got 57 runs driven in, but he's got 69 runs scored. Nice. 37 steals mm-hmm. uh, in a league uh, in, when nobody else is running. That's how he's differentiating himself. So he's not hitting for a lot of average, but he is out there every single day producing. Um, and that's where the, and Mullins is doing this. Mullins is out there every day producing, even if he's not driving in runs. He has 42 runs driven in because that's how bad the bottom of the Baltimore lineup has been. But he's doing everything else and he's doing it every single day. And that has to you have to give credence to that that type of thing. I don't care if you're on a bad team. If you're hitting high in the lineup and playing every day, you will get your numbers. I mean, I'll reserve the right to change my mind once I do my deep dives like I always do, but uh, slight blinders on the fact that I already believed in Mullins. I mean, not as much as uh, as as uh, as our friend here, but uh, he was obviously someone who had, had opened my eyes to him more, but I, I have him on most of my teams this year, so... I think it's there is a blind spot for expecting someone to break out. And when they do, you feel almost a personal uh, commitment to them. Uh, but he does have like an 87.6 Z contact, which is fantastic. Only a 7.8 swing strike rate. So there's a lot of things there to suggest that uh, the plate discipline could carry over and allow him to continue to get on base. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not a perfect player. But, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, the opportunity and everything. I like it a lot. I, I don't want to have to overpay for him, but I actually do believe. So I don't think... I think there'll be a lot of people that are going to say that he's a bust next year, at least at ADP, which I, I'm hoping will drive back his price. So I won't even have to draft or more. I'm willing to, which is the hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think he's going to be kind of one of those guys, especially in early drafts that are kind of all over the place. Um, I think there are going to be some people wanting to take him, you know, right around where you guys were saying top 50 ish. I think some people are going to try to push him up into the second round. Um, I think some people are going to be just completely fading him. I think I'm on board with the top 50, top 45, kind of, you know, end of the third round, beginning of the fourth round in a 15-teamer. My biggest concern isn't about Mullins. It's about the team he plays on. I mean, he's got 21 home runs and only 42 RBIs. <laughs> it's, I, I'm trying to, it's, it's bad, man. It is, re, as somebody... Uh, you know, the Rays have a four game lead in the AL East and it's all about their 14 and one or 13 and one record against Baltimore. I mean, they have, they have gone Glaber Torres on them. 
Um, and that's that's been the difference. Uh, and but they are they are atrocious. It's really bad to watch them play baseball. Yeah. So I yeah, I think top forty five, top fifty is is probably the right call. Like Matt said, like when you when you when you pump a guy as hard as, as I pumped uh Mullins this year, um, and then they have the breakout, you tend to want to just like go back to the well on your guy. So like I'm trying also not to like because you know, my heart says, Oh, this dude's like a second round pick. Um, but my head tells me a little bit like, Hey, you know, probably shouldn't, you know, there's going to be some regression, uh, coming, you know, coming back down to earth a little bit, uh, next season. So, uh, hey, I got a trivia question for you. So you just mentioned that Cedric Mullins has 42 runs driven in with 21 home runs this year. Uh, anybody want to guess what the lowest RBI total is for a player with 20 or more home runs? Mm. This season or just in general? Any year. Any year. Okay, I'm I'm gonna guess 25. No. Uh, what you said is <laughs> no. You said, can't, you said can't Mullins has 41. It's... Mullins has 42, and that is tied for the fourth lowest RBI total oh, for a player okay, with 21 so home runs in a single. It's gonna season. be 30. Then. I'd say like 34 ish. I mean, it can't be a whole lot lower than that, can it? I would assume it there's is... a lot of people tied at single digits below it. Here's the irony of it all. It is 40, and it is by former Baltimore Oriole Chris Hoyles in 1992. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a name I don't think I've ever heard. And by the way, Patrick Wisdom has 40 home runs, uh, 20 RBI, 20 home runs and 40 RBIs this year. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> and he's done it in half the playing time as Cedric Mullins. <laughs> Who's the player this year who kept hitting solo home runs? Was it Bryce Harper? Who's Bryce the one? Harper. Bryce Harper. Harper is like first yeah. 13 or so. We're all solos. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, Kevin let's... Moss is the other name in between. Kevin Moss, 21 home runs, 41 RBIs in that magical 1990 season. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's move on and talk about another guy who was going outside of the top 200. Uh, but has been really, really good, and um, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done, and that, that's Chris Taylor. Uh, he's been absolutely phenomenal, and the fact that he, on top of being phenomenal, he has multi-positional eligibility, uh, and I believe will retain at least some of that coming into next season. Let's see, he'll, he'll have second short and outfield. Maybe, no, I probably won't. He won't pick up third. So second short and outfield coming into next year. Uh, 18 home runs, 11 stolen bases in 280, 370, 481. Uh, Matt, where should we be taking Chris Taylor coming into next season? Probably. I mean, he's going to be disrespected like always, right? Because it's always mm -hmm. like, oh, they the, the the Dodgers got Mookie Betts. Where's Chris Taylor going to play? Every day and anywhere. They got Albert Pools. Where is he going to play? They got Trey Turner. Where is he going to play? Anywhere and every day. The Dodgers love this guy. Uh, he went like the 240s last year. I'd say he probably should be taken in like the 140 to 150 range. I mean, you know, he probably should be taken earlier than that. But I'll say that's the range at which I think um, – he will land because I think people will probably finally be wise, but they'll probably talk themselves off for the same exact reason. They'll, they'll see the Dodgers team next year. Maybe Gavin Lux will get some helium put back on his name and they won't understand where Chris Taylor's at bats are going to come from yet. They're going to be there every day. So, I mean, I wrote down 140 to 150. I think he's deserves well better than that. Uh, but again, that's still 100 picks higher than he was this season. Um, I mean, I would assume 
I would assume that's where he ends. That's where he starts. Uh, we'll just have to see what the the Dodgers do because I think so much of his value is tied to the uncertainty of other people not understanding if his bats will be there, even though they're guaranteed pretty much with the Dodgers' uh, reputation for liking him and moving him around. If there's no obvious logjam, uh, like you know, if Seager leaves and they actually you know uh, the, uh, other people move around and they they don't have the typical stack team, which they probably will. Um, his well, his he's value actually is a free up. agent. Yes, he is. I, I would just assume he's coming back there because they just yeah, they love they, lo- they absolutely love him. I would assume no team would love him more. Um, so yeah, it it really really depends um, because I think his value has been tied for the last few years on just his uncertainty of at bat. So it's kind of hard to gauge. Uh, just an update before I throw it to uh, to, to Jason here. Uh, I have made my pick in that draft, and Mr. Bigelow <laughs> is up. So uh, it is it is almost ten a.m. East or uh, ten a.m. Pacific. Uh, I expect to pick around two. You said his, what did you say his name was? Bigelow. Oh, so the guy's dead. I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow has been dead for a while. So yeah. maybe that explains <laughs> so why he's having trouble. I thought it was Deuce Bigelow. Yeah, yeah either or. <laughs> uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on uh, Chris Taylor for next season? Hey, first of all, I got, when every, every time I see Chris Taylor, all I can think of is uh, I, I, the guy leading the uh, the online championship Curtis Jones listens to this podcast. Mm, he yes, is he a UVA grad. So go who's I have to say that because I know he listens and Chris Taylor. Every time uh, I see Chris Taylor, I think of uh, UVA. Uh, so with him and, and as, as Matt was talking, it just everything he applies. It's like Jake Cronenworth, uh, same kind of thing. Don't know where he's going to play. He can play everywhere. And nobody was drafting him uh, where where his production has said, hey, we should have figured about this guy up here. But Taylor was a guy sitting around in a lot of drafts for that same reason. It's like, oh, hey, Lux, all this. Look at these AAA numbers. They've got to go. You know, Chris Taylor just going to hold that spot. And then Chris Taylor uh, or keep that spot warm, rather. And in fact, he has held that spot. And if you look at all the players without field eligibility this year. He's 10th overall uh, based on what he's been able to do. And that whole free agent story, uh, you know, it would be great if he stays there. Uh, but I, maybe some other team does value him uh, more teams that like to move players around. Uh, but then again, teams that like to spend money that, that if you try to try to find uh, teams that like to spend money on versatile players, uh, versatile players, rather, uh, that's not an overlapping circle. That is an actual true Venn diagram. There's not going to be too many uh, teams for him. So maybe he does come back there. Uh, but really, the versatility says it all. We know what he's capable of. Uh, he can give you a little bit of everything. Uh, and this year, he's taking a bit full advantage of hitting high in the lineup. You have to wonder how much of that gets impacted with the healthy Mookie bets on the year, because some of Taylor's opportunities have been created by the injuries on that roster. So if the Dodgers are healthier, uh, where does Taylor fit in that lineup long-term and how does that impact his value? So I think that is a, a, a cap on how high he can go, but this is, he is one of the, he's the type of player I like to target in drafts because we know what he's capable of. He can, he can be successful at multiple positions uh, and very low risk profile. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be interesting depending on where he ends up. If Matt's right and he does end up back in uh, in Los Angeles, I think people will continue to kind of fade him because there'll be these, oh, where, where will he play? But like Matt mentioned, he just plays. Like, he plays wherever he where, needs where, to Where play. would you guys put him if he was every day? Like, let's say the Phillies signed him, and they're like, this guy's going to move around and play every single day. How high do you think he could go? Hmm... 
That's a really good question. I I worry yeah. I worry that he would maybe everyday playing time, especially against righties, could come back to bite him, especially as he ages. Uh, but I think if he was playing every day for a team like the Phillies, I would expect him to go in the top one fifty. Yeah, maybe like around like one twenty ish. He could be a top fifteen shortstop. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Mustakis and Max Muncy both went about one twenty. Like they're they were triple eligible players um, on their teams, you know, with full time roles. I, I feel like that's the right spot for him. I agree. I think. Yeah, that's why. It, yeah, it'll. That's why I think it's. Uh, yeah, he's he's a hard guy to talk about until we know where he's going to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's uh, let's talk about a guy who's a little bit easier to talk about, uh, and some people are going to wonder why I even have him on this list. But uh, Juan Soto uh, is a guy when uh, I'm hearing people start to talk about what the top, you know, five, what the top ten, what the first round is going to look like. Juan Soto's name isn't necessarily being talked about. In spite of the fact that he's hitting 307, 449, 516, 20 home runs, six stolen bases, where should we be talking about taking him next year, man? Uh, top five. <laughs> I I think that's where he should go. I, I think that he had a brutal first half. He acknowledged it was. He, the guy actually went to the home run derby in hopes of turning his season around, and he did. Um, the only problem, I should say top five talent. Maybe I'll open with that. Top five talent still. I still believe that that's he's totally capable of that. He's a Mike Trout pick in terms of you don't necessarily maybe expect him or need him to finish where you draft him. You're drafting him for the safety of knowing he will be at the top, probably. I mean, that's you know the first half here notwithstanding. Uh, the problem is his lineup sucks. So bad. I mean, they gutted it. And I I would like to think that they're going to try to fill that up with something. But, I mean, in the very first year after the breakdown at the All-Star break, there's no guarantee of that. So um, in early drafts, I'll probably let it go. I'd like to see the plan and what they're going to put around him because it's so easy uh, to pitch around him right now. It's not like anyone's like scared out of their wits for Josh Bell. So, uh, yeah, for now, I would say uh, top five talent, <laughs> and it really depends on where uh, what the, the Nationals do, assuming they do nothing, and uh, they're going out there with basically a carbon copy of what we've seen right now, maybe a couple of minor um, you know, upgrades here and there, like the Tigers, you know, putting out their, their veterans <laughs> to surround the young team. Uh, I would say that I would probably want him still at the back half of the first round. I mean, he's not going to, there was a lot of hope he'd steal out of bases. That doesn't really come around. So yeah, uh, I think end of the first round, if they do nothing, if they, if they add a couple of players, they still think he's worth top five pick. Depends on, uh, depends on where, how much starting pitching gets pushed up as well. But yeah, I would say end of the first round. Jason, what about you? I made the joke what the trade deadline after the nationals were done gutting it, that, uh, Soto should wear the Eddie Fainer King in his court jersey because that's what that's literally what this has come down to. I mean, you look at the you you know Matt made the mention this lineup sucks and it truly does. You look at next year, it's like they've got to fill in a gap at second base. They have to fill in a gap at shortstop. They've got to try. They've got two young catchers are going to roll out there and Kyber Ruiz and Riley Adams. Uh, you know that's what they're looking to roll out there. Uh, and yeah, 
you know, what what Victor Robles is going to show up. There's nobody on the farm going to come up and save the day. Uh, and you know, you could make uh, probably get maybe two to one odds that Juan Soto is going to lead the league in walks next year. But why, you know, why bother pitching to him when you don't have to? Uh, to it. And that's really where the, the concern is this year. You know, we talked about, you know, he's, it's not like he's having a, a bust of a season, but you know, he was, he was number one overall in some drafts. His ADP was three uh, and he has earned as much as Cedric Mullins has this year uh, to that. And that's, that's where you have to, yeah, he's, you can, you can make the case that Juan Soto has been a bust this year because when he has not earned what we thought he was going to earn, uh, but some of that's not his fault when they take away everything around him. It's like, okay, go out there and produce and try to drive something in. Uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, so for me, it's like I have a tough time taking a guy in the first round, and it's not, it's no knock on him at all. I mean, what he's capable of, and I made mention of this earlier, but you know, some guys are just better real baseball players than fantasy baseball players. But the thing that's held Juan Soto back this year, as Matt alluded to, he doesn't run as much. So it's like when you look at some of these other guys that are out there stealing bases, they're earning you more fantasy value, even though they may not be the amazing hitter Juan Soto is and the threat that he is in the lineup. But if they don't put something around him to to help him, he's going to lead the league in walks next year because there's no way I would pitch to him. If I'm Atlanta, if, if I'm uh, New York, if I'm anybody in that division, I'm trying to contend, why pitch to the guy? If I don't have to, I will try to pitch around them. Hell, I'll just let him go to first base and see what he wants to do. But he needs some help. And his his value heading into draft season is going to be wholly dependent on what the Nationals do. And let's not forget, they got like $35 million of deferred salary. They got to pay pitchers that are no longer pitching for them, too. So who knows what they're going to be looking to do. They may start looking for guys on the cheap and say, here, come in. Here's an everyday playing job uh, and, and try something like that. And with the whole uh, and the whole if they get the contract situation, uh, that garbage that they threw out earlier let's put a salary cap and a salary floor uh you know that would further impact what nationals could spend uh too so he may be a you know he may be a bargain early on in draft season so those that start drafting right as the season's over you know maybe people are looking at that roster going god this sucks i i can't take him and then they start adding some maybe they do start adding some pieces and then his value goes up but right now i don't see how juan soto is a first rounder myself and that's no knock on juan soto that's a knock on the nationals it would shock me if the actual analytics for teams suggested it was the right move to walk him every at bat, even with, I don't know if you remember uh, peak Barry bonds. It actually made sense mathematically to walk him with the bases loaded because during that one yep. year, it actually made it, it. He was actually more likely to drive in more than one run. <laughs> it's, it was insane. So um, not, not that you want to get too crazy with, with anyone like that, but uh, yeah, I, I bet it makes sense to walk him 90% of the time. Yeah, probably. Uh, I I still think he's a top five player. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, whatever the Nationals do in this off season will kind of determine <laughs> what his counting stats will be around him. Uh, they still have Josh Bell, I guess. Uh, they gotta sign someone. They're gonna they're gonna bring in a couple of wild. I would I would assume that they're the somewhat right. This is a team that has never really rebuilt, at least not in recent memory. They have no choice now. But they literally like, have all these contracts expired. They have to do something. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm wondering like if this is one of the teams that just goes on a spending spree this offseason. There's a lot of free agents. Wouldn't available. they be better off doing that? Like, but they're like they don't even have a rotation. 
Yeah, I mean, they I mean, they literally have so many like, holes. I to think fill. they go back they and they get. I think they go back and get Scherzer. I think they. Uh, I think they are one of the one of the teams that are in on like Story or Correa. Um, I, I think this is a team that signs like two or three like major free agents um, in in the off season to well, try to. Like, Seeing how the dumpster fire that is the NL East ends, they could certainly regroup and see they're a lot closer to jumping back in it than they they originally thought, even after breaking down. So they could certainly do the math on that. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I I mean. That'd be my guess, you know. Then you know, like you go out and get a Carlos Correa or uh, or a Trevor Story. Um, you go out and get I don't I don't you know like go back and go get uh, Scherzer and and hopefully you have a healthy Strasburg. Uh, and, and Joe Ross, then, then your, your team's looking a little bit better. Not to think, not that I think either of those pitchers will be healthy next year, but, um, at least on paper, they would be looking a lot better. Uh, let, let's talk about a guy who, um, on paper always looked really good, but really struggled, uh, to get things going in Tampa Bay, uh, but gets traded over to the Brewers. Uh, and William Thomas has been, um, absolutely amazing. Uh, since coming over to Milwaukee, uh, Jason, since he's the former uh, <laughs> former Ray, I'll let you kind of uh, kind of, uh, lead us off on this one. Um, where should we be taking Willie Adams next season? All right, so right now he is the 14th shortstop by earned auction value uh, in the season, uh, and that obviously that's being weighed down by spending the first two months uh, in Tampa Bay where he just was not doing anything. Uh, and as soon as he made the deal, we talked about on this podcast just to say, you know, and jump all in. Road Willie is is Road Willie is going to be awesome, and the fact that he gets to play all of his games away from Tropicana now should be fantastic. And you know, he's out there doing the damage. I think if we were to give him a full season and in, in that ballpark in that division, uh, it could be fun. I mean, the guys in front of him somehow, Javi Baez is still in front of him, uh, despite the uh, yeah, he's got the home run, he's got the steals are really pushing him up. But Baez, Correa, Cronenworth, Crawford, Anderson, Swanson, Taylor. The problem with here is you would look at a lot of these names through here, there's not going to be a lot of movement down uh, out of this group. And it's like Cronenworth, if anything, has cemented his value there. Uh, again, we talked earlier about Baez. Tim Anderson's not going anywhere. Swanson's not going anywhere. You know, it, maybe you're like, okay, Jorge Polanco. You know, this has been an awesome year, nice resurgence, but whatever. But there's not going to be a lot of movement in front of him. So if you're taking Willie Adamas as a top ten shortstop, you must really love Willie Adamas because you don't have to. I mean, he's 14 right now. Uh, he should absolutely be a top 15 shortstop heading in the next year. I just don't know how he gets into the top 10 uh, at the position just because of the depth at the shortstop position. What are you thinking, Matt? Where are you taking Adamas? Uh, I tried I, I tried ranking him uh, when, when we got this list earlier. Actually, I have him not necessarily where I need to draft him. I have him as my 12th shortstop which basically puts him just around where Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa were going in drafts this season. Um, depending, you know, I think Alberto Montesi will be kind of written off by peoples. So I think, you know, Andres Jimenez won't have the helium he did. Um, Marcus Simeon will move up. So like, like uh, he was saying that they, 
I don't think um, Jason was saying that uh, I don't think there'll be much movement. I kind of agree there. I do think he kind of butts up to um, that entire group, though. Like right after there, there was like, you know, Tommy Edmund, Didi Gregory. So it doesn't take a lot to kind of move up. So I but I do think he kind of groups up into that, like, you know, sh- you know, starting shortstop, like in a 12 team league. He obviously should be a starting shortstop in a 15 team league, I think. But, um, yeah, I think I like him is my I like him as my shortstop 12. And uh, that's me discounting a bounce back from Glaber Torres, which could be to my detriment. I actually would move him behind. Um, I'm not sure if I would rather have Javier Baez. Sometimes I don't like to pallet the really low batting average, depending on the format too, if you can pallet the strikeouts. But I think he should be going kind of right right there. Um, so I think him and Dansby Swanson is like a perfect area. So I think I'd just put him to where those two are being drafted this year. Hmm. Interesting. I, I said that's not necessarily where I have to where I have to draft him. That's where I would rank him. I, I I'm fully on board with Jason where I think he should be there. There's probably no reason for me to have to take him there though, which is beautiful. So if I if I believe in him, I'll you know I'll probably be able to get him significantly later than that. And it's worth well, it's also worth adding when I talk about those the, the depth at shortstop position is because Semyon and Turner and Polanco and Taylor and Cronenworth all in front of him have other positional eligibility, including shortstop. So it's like that could make some upward traction if those players are drafted at other positions. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you could see Cronenworth being taken as somebody's second baseman. Uh, but that's what's creating some depth here in the position is some of these guys have are, are multi-eligible. Multi uh, and it's added some, some length to the shortstop depth chart. Yeah, I think he's going to probably go inside the top 100 be my guess. I think I and I think I'd be here here for that. So, um I uh, I mean I, I've always been a big Adamus guy. Uh he's always kind of been a guy I've targeted kind of towards the end of drafts. I don't know if I'm going to pay much higher than top 100. Uh but if, if he's going just inside the top 100 or just outside the top 100, I I think I I'll, I'll be I'll be drafted a fair amount of him uh especially if I'm okay with getting a second shortstop. Uh, kind of that early in the draft. So uh, I, I, I like Adamus a lot. I mean, you know, he, he talked about how much that batting eye in Tampa Bay bothered him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and he's been just absolutely fantastic since coming over to to uh, to Milwaukee. So I, I, I don't see why there isn't a reason he can keep up pretty close to that level of production. Uh, let's... Uh, we're going to probably end up cutting off some of these names because we're already going a bit long. Um, George Springer, he's a guy that, um, you know, missed a lot of this, has missed a lot of season because of injuries, um, but has performed decently when um, when he's on the field. It's just he hasn't been on the field. Seven home runs, a stolen base in, uh, in 27 games this season. How much does him missing time drop him, Jason? Uh, uh, quite a bit. I mean, when you think about part of the issue here, we have a couple of things in play. One, you know, we have a guy signing a big contract and, and, and Rick and Glenn have talked about the, the smart system. We've mentioned a few times where, 
you know, they they believe in fading guys coming on the first year of a big contract because historically it doesn't work out well. And this would be another example uh, to uh, to add uh, as a feather in their cap for that theory. The other part we have about Toronto is is the different ballparks. Again, we'd like to have a baseline and we know what Rogers Center is. But the fact that you know, he got to put up some of these numbers in Dunedin, you got to put some of these numbers in Buffalo. Uh, and hell, if you want to get cute, he got to put up uh, a game's worth of numbers in Anaheim. I believe he was still in the lineup there before he got hurt because uh, that was a home game for him as a makeup game. Uh, but the the issue of him getting hurt again brings back problems of if you had him in 2019 where you're like oh hey uh because he was great 16 17 18 missed a little bit of time but 19 missed some time 21 validates those concerns there you know he was taken right just outside the top 50 his adp was 51 coming into the year i could see him being closer to 100 than 50 in adp this coming year uh, draft season only because of the concerns you had about him coming into 2020 were validated uh, this season with him twice going on the IL. Matt, where are you out on Springer? Man, I don't think I move him at all. Um, it, it has. Wait, I, wait, I you don't, don't think I, you move him at all? He I was don't a think second, third round pick. I uh, no, Here's the thing um, with the outfield. The more, and the more I look at it is Mike Trout injured most of the year. Christian Yellick hurt and or terrible. Most of the year he's heating up. Cody Bellinger, terrible most of the year and injured. Um, Luis Robert, injured for most of the year. Ozuna, injured most of the year. Aaron Judge has his own injury problems. Then you get to Springer. At least this is as far as where ADP went. Michael Conforto was just brutal. Kettle Marte, injured most of the year. Kevin Biggio proved to be no, no, nowhere near worth his draft spot. Austin Meadows has his own injury problems. Victor Robles was terrible. Yodran Alvarez... I don't think anyone is going to take the injuries as seriously with him. I think he's proven to be healthy enough. Lords Guriel was was poor. Charlie Blackman downward trajectory. Stanton always injured. Buxton always injured. Yeah, Grisham injured. It's just like that's so many of the of the top thirty outfielders where um, people are going to move up. But even after that, you got even more injury prone guys like Tommy Pham and Will Myers and Dom Smith was was you know not particularly great this year. Where I think I would like to move him back. Um, except I think there's so many other people that are moving that are moving back or have their own injury problems where I do think that um, he won't be taken where he is. But I think once people evaluate where outfield is, that's maybe where elite outfielders will be taken even earlier. But I think that he will kind of remain near the top just because I there's it's not like there's these really safe options to grab right behind him. And he's still really elite. Uh, when healthy. So, um, yeah, not to sound like I'm like a crazy person here, but I think that uh, he doesn't move as far back once I do my official rankings, just because there's not too many people to move up. Does this mean like people will be like, I think this might like set up for like a really huge drop off in the outfield position. Like maybe he doesn't drop so far down the outfield ranks, but he drops farther down in the overall yeah i could see that i i'm speaking more of like last year he was taken as like the 15th outfielder i'm not sure he drifts any farther than the 20th um that's kind of where i'm getting at i think yeah the outfield i think will be being drafted a little bit later um whereas you know uh, and there'll be people will definitely probably be pushing pitching up like usual uh so yeah, that's. I mean, that's my take so far. I I will have to like you know dig into more of it. We'll see how he finishes the season too. There's a little bit more time, but 
I, I, it's uh, when you asked the question, I was trying to look where I would move him back, and I just had a, I had trouble finding people I would want to move in front of him. Yeah, I, I think that is a huge problem, and one I didn't actually think about when I was when I was actually racking my brain here. Um, I'm yeah. When you really look at the list, it's it's hard to pull these names that you're like, I definitely want him in front of Springer. There's not many. Yeah, that I mean that that becomes the huge problem. Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably keeping him right around where he was too. Um, I mean, when I said that, you both gasped like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, but no, you're right. I mean, you look at just the outfield, kind of the way it's shaped up this year, and I mean, in spite of the fact that he's missed a ton of games, he has 16 home runs in 49 games. Mm-hmm. Like when he's been on the field, he's been really, really good. Um, and I want to say prior to getting hurt this time and this, this injury is supposed to be short term, like, yeah, in, in the second half, he, in just 29 games, he has 11 home runs and he's hitting 318. Like he's been phenomenal. Um, earlier in the year before he went down with the second quarter hamstring, he actually, didn't he steal like a couple of bases with the uh, just one? I think he, he, he's, he's just. But yeah. he, or he might I think he hit a home run or he may hit a home run one or two home runs and stole a base. But yeah, he just uh, when, yeah, when he's healthy, uh, it's not he's a beast. Any pitch, though, I mean, all <laughs> serious, that's the thing to me. This team is so disappointing to me because this should be so much better than it is. Yeah. I think you look at him and there's just and, you know, uh, Justin tweeted that in our uh, we uh, in the group text the other day. I mentioned it's like their inexperience and their youth shows through in some of these games like they lose games. They have no business losing. Uh, mm-hmm. And losing to teams, they have no business losing. And here they are. You know, we're we're supposed to think of them like, oh, hey, they're a contender, but they're not. Uh, they've lost. They've just given away too many games. And at this point, it's like, all right, play ahead for next year. Do what you can next year because, uh, I mean, they would need an absolute miracle to uh, to contend this year. But when you look through and see where numbers have come through, like I mentioned with uh, with Springer. He hit, you know, he's hit as many home runs uh, at Salem Field as he has at Rogers Center. But at Rogers Center, he is 409, 449, 932. He has 12 extra base hits and 44 at bats since go- going there. So it's like, to your point, uh, that he's been putting up some major damage. And even at Salem Field, he was absolutely crushing it. Uh, but he barely played it uh, in Dunedin. He only had. Uh, 18 plate appearances in Dunedin, but he put up some, he's put up some massive numbers in Rogers Center. So if you want to extrapolate those and be like, all right, let's go. He's going to absolutely slug 932 at home next year over a full season. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right. j- just <laughs> insert a gif of, of Charlie Brown missing the football. Cause that's, <laughs> that's what this is going to be. Um, George Springer was my first, true love when it came when i started uh when i started out as a fantasy analyst and he, uh, he was a rookie um and i i'm just going to continue to fall for it year after year so uh let's uh let's we're gonna finish out with uh this next guy uh and uh then we'll, we're gonna cut off the, the last four and maybe I'll, I'll throw him on the the rundown for next week uh, the next guy is christian yelich uh and he was mentioned uh before by matt um, because he has been injured, he's been awful, and then he hits two grand slams yesterday, um, and uh, and now <laughs> I'm wondering if people are going to get excited again uh, on him. Uh, Matt, are you going to be Charlie Brown kicking the football with Christian Yelich? I am. 
I'm on board. You know what? Uh, he was he's on my uh, Tau Wars team, which has been I've been carried by my starting pitching, and and I needed a boost from my hitting because I had like Jeff McNeil and Christian Yelich, and and that game yesterday was desperately needed. Um, he still has a 373 on base percentage, uh, so I mean, and there's definitely it should be a caveat here where. There has not been a massive drop-off if you drafted him in on-base percentage leagues. I mean, he's obviously been injured, but as far as his production, eight home runs, eight stolen bases, 373 on base. You're not thrilled, but you will certainly take it. Um, he's, I mean, the back problems are, 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 just, are just the worst. So um, as, as far as me giving a sellout answer here, it, it depends on where he goes. Where would I want to put him? I would rather have Kyle Tucker than him next year. If that gives an indication, I, I'm not sure. I'm sure Tucker probably worked his way into the, you know, the, the front of the second round for next year. Um, I don't know if I, I probably would rather have a guy like, uh, you know, Boba Shad I'd rather have, um, man, I don't know. I think he, I think he should, if, if he's going near like the two, three turn, I would do it. Um, but wow. I, don't, I mean, does he, I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's any way he makes it there, but I'm not, I, 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 I got, I got to ask though, because you're saying two, three turn that's saying you would take Christian Yelich above Cedric Mullins. I uh, yes, I, it would be wow. so hard. It would be so hard not to, but we gotta, this is, this is based on how he looks and feels the rest of this season, uh, because there's still a lot of games left and, um, and then, you know, you want to see, you know, he ends the season healthy and how it goes. Cause I don't do too many of my important drafts right after the year. I'll do draft champions and stuff, but, um, for any of my important ones, I'll, I'll hopefully have a heck of a lot more information. So just based upon things ending in a healthy way and him yesterday, maybe being the spark of something ish, we'll see. I mean, cause if, you know, yesterday it's two grand slams and he ends the season playing, you know, one full month of Christian Yellick baseball there's people are going to put him right back at the one, two turn. It's just the way some people will be built. Um, not that there'll be, that'll be consensus, but there'll be at least one or one person each draft, I would think. But yeah, for now, I would say that's where I put him a two, three. I mean, usually what I do here is, you know, when we have a guest is I throw it to one of either Jason or the guest, and then I let the other one answer and then I go last, but I, I, I have to jump in right now. Cause, yeah. um, Yes, yesterday he hits two grand slams and steals a base. The last time he hit a home run or stole a base was mid-July prior to that. Like, hey, some guys, point. I'm only showing one grand slam and a solo shot and then a double. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. That's my bad then. I thought it was two. Uh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. My bad. He had six uh, runs driven in yesterday. So two, two, slam, two home runs, one was, a, one was a grand slam. Uh, either way, like his last home run was July 18th. Yep. His last stolen base prior to that was July 17th. At what point do we go or start saying that whether you want to say it's injuries or maybe 2018, 2019 was, was a little bit fluky because of the ball, but he's no longer the Christian Yelich that we know. <sighs> That's that's kind of why I said that this is it's tricky to answer this before seeing the en end of the year only because I think that back injury was holding holding him back and altering his game so much. Last year, even with the back injury, he still made some of the most like elite contact, like the very tippy top of Major League Baseball, and he's still this year getting on base. So I feel like 
I feel like it's in there still for his ability to do it. That's why I said I want to see the rest of the season because, um, like the last home run does. I mean, that doesn't necessarily worry me too much. I mean, um, Trey Turner just hit. Uh, didn't he just hit? What he just? Did, what, what am I thinking of? Trey Turner, uh, I think, just hit his first home run yesterday. And the last one he hit before yesterday was July 19th. I mean, that's almost mirrors exactly what Christian Yelich did. And we're not worried about that. So it's like, and obviously Yelich has his own problems with uh, just. Yeah, because Yelich has been bad for two years. No, no, I'm not trying to compare. I'm just saying like the, the amount between home runs. I just, with him, I'm not necessarily sold that he's done. I think a lot had to do with him being injured and him overcompensating for injury by changing mechanics and. But the hard contact was there, and the plate discipline as far as getting on base is there. I just want to see how he looks at the end of end of the year. I mean, right now, if I'm drafting for next year, like today, I'm not drafting him. If that's what you want to ask me, he's literally marked off my board. Um, I'm just guessing where if he ends the season healthy and just hit it look, looking like kind of himself, that's where I would go because I don't think he even if he played in an elite level. Going the rest of the way, I don't think I can move him beyond that. Where I think other people might, I think that is his like ceiling for his draft capital next year. All right, Jason, what about you? Where are you at on Yelich? All right, so he looks like Paul Sporer, and he has Paul Sporer's back, uh, which is really the problematic part. I mean, honestly, unless he has a back transplant this winter, I really don't want any part of him. Uh, anywhere where the market's going to value him. I mean, we look at you mentioned the last two years. So we had partial, you know, the partial 2020 this year, but still consider it partial. Combine the two. We're looking at a 228, 366, 404 triple slash line, 110 WRC plus, mostly driven off the 17% walk rate uh, that allows him to do what, yeah, he's got 20 home runs and he's stolen 12 bases uh, off that. But this is by, I mean, this was a guy that was taken first overall in at least one online draft last year. Uh, ADP was three. Uh, when we looked at it. And so uh, to me, it's like, I don't know. I remember being upset because I had the 11th pick uh, in our TGFBI league and he went 10th. And I was like, damn, I was like, I'm going to take him. I made uh, in my head, I was like, I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him. And I'm so glad I didn't take him. Uh, you know, I'm still in third place in that league and distant third place, but it is, uh, you know, it, it would have been a lot worse had I had Yelich. Uh, on my team there. So it's like, to me, it's like, I've seen enough over the last two years to say, let somebody else go for that rebound. He'll be turning 30 uh, this winter and uh, 18 and 19 aren't distant memories, but 20 and 21 are still too fresh for me to get back in the game and be like, yeah, if uh, there's no way I could take him in the first round. Uh, but if I'm even staring at the sec- end of second going, oh yeah, this will be the year. I'm going to take a chance on somebody that has a safer health track record uh this back you know back trouble just doesn't go away uh and it's enough for me to run in a different direction here yeah i i i there's no way i could put him above cedric mullins and if i said cedric mullins is you know around you know 45 ish uh you know even top 30 ish um and i'm not saying i'm not taking yelich there's no way i'm gonna end up with yelich next year so i'm, I'm gonna be out I just, I'm, unless he shows up, you know, Matt, Matt is right. If like, if he comes out and shows out rest of the way, um, then obviously that could change my mind that that would change. I think a like lot I said, of people's I, minds, but I don't disagree with either of you. I guess it's the thing that for me that I don't want to write him off without seeing how 
if he has a healthy stint in him is only because the walk rate is still elite, like always. His hard hit rate has been in the top 10% of the league for the last seven years. It still is this year. Uh, his chase rate is still elite. So it's like his pitch selection and his hard contact is there. Um, so, I mean, I I, the, I think the player is there. I think a lot of the other people think that the play, the MVP is no longer in there. I do. Um, it, it, he has to prove that he can be healthy. And there has to be not only play well the rest of the year, but prove to be healthy during the offseason. So, I mean, there's a there's so many moving parts for me. He's He goes from me wanting him at the 2-3 to me not wanting him at all um, based on a couple of reports. So, I mean, he's just, yeah. you know. He, he has only had one season with a launch angle above above seven that just to me like i i just don't know that the power is going to come back until he figures that out it's always what's always it's so tough to uh it's tough to give up on the guy and i i get it he's never had a season with an obp below 350 never yeah and he's been that's... in league since 2013 it's just like that skill never go. He has not lost that skill and as long as he has the skill to get on base like if this was another dude be like, ah, oh, forget it. I'm I'm completely done. I can't completely wash my hands of him, but there's it, it. I just don't see him ending up on my roster because too many other people are going to be willing to take a chance and forgive the last two years of work and just stare at 18 and 19 intently. Uh, I would maintain, and you probably you know, can sound clip this and rub this in my face. People take him in the first round next year. It's going to be a disaster. Oh no! Yeah, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I said, like I said, if he showed, if he was Christian Yelich, vintage the rest of the way, I don't think I'd take him before the two three because of the back. Uh, that that is that is the highest I would take him, which I, I think I tried to stress. Uh, He's yeah, going to no. be such a tough player to rank next year because you know, again, back trouble ha- has has derailed so many different hitters. You are nothing without your core, and if he can't, I don't know what he's going to be able to do in the offseason to prove that. Like, hey, this is. You know, I'm sure he's already doing all the muscle work and any of the flex, anything he's trying to do. But once you've got that, you've got it. Uh, and, you know, surgery seems to be the only way to get things corrected. And having back surgery in the offseason is, is would actually make me like him even less uh, for 2022, because that's I, I a know, long, I, long road to recovery. I know I'm the reason this is dragging on forever and ever. But quick question to you both. Who would you rather have next year? Assuming uh, the player I'm about to mention, it lands in a, a reasonable spot where you, you like him. Uh, would you rather have Christian Yellick, assuming healthy and, uh, you know, plays well the rest of the year or Nick Castellanos? Castellanos. Yes, Castellanos. Okay. Just, just curious. Yeah. I think that would probably I, – I don't know where Castellanos is going to go. I think that depends on where he lands. But I think that might be – they're where the decision time would come for people. I, if I'm me trying to play, uh, you know, mind reader, <laughs> where, I mean, where it could end but up. But like, what spot would Castellanos have to end up in? Because I mean, wherever he goes, he's going to be a full time player, right? So, like, what spot would he have to end up in where you wouldn't take him above? I don't know. I mean, I it's San Francisco. Why? <laughs> like no, I'm, he, no, I'm just saying Cassianos has like real man power. Like he's no, not, I'm not going. No, no, you're asking me where I would think that, you know, when you're talking about those, you're coin flipping. Right. Uh, but him obviously going back to Cincinnati, if you're coin flipping in your head and Castellanos is back in Cincinnati, let's say, or he's going to San Francisco, I would think that that would make the decision a snap decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I just don't I don't know that there and maybe it's because I'm irrationally high on Cassianos. Uh, but I, 
I don't think there is a place he could play um, other than Japan or Korea where we don't get his stats um, that I wouldn't take him over uh, uh, Yelich next year. Fair enough. So uh, that's just me. Uh, All right. That is going to wrap us up for this episode. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Now we have to. Uh, we just wasted about twenty minutes on Christian Yelich, who's probably going to slip on a banana peel later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he. I hope he's. I mean, I'd love to see him be good again, but I just can't. I just can't buy it. I can't buy it right now. Uh, I, I can be a pest. I can be an optimist and then look great later. Um, but then, uh, and then you guys just look like a couple of grump, grumpy people trying to keep, uh, trying to hold Christian Yelich down. Yeah, you know, that's me. Grumpy old guy. <laughs> Matt, remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug all your work. Uh, yeah, everyone, you can find me at uh, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Uh, all my work's over at NBC Sports Edge uh, for, for baseball. If you're into football, over at The Athletic. Uh, I host the Turn 2 podcast, uh, NBC Sports Edge, Circling the Bases podcast, and the uh, Daily Blitz football podcast. So subscribe, rate on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. There you go. Jason, uh, what are you working on? Where can you be reached? Uh, I can be reached at Jason Collette on Twitter. Uh, I have not yet decided what I'm working on for this week's Collette calls. Um, the most recent one was on pedigree bias and why we should have uh, ignored Kevin Biggio's last name and just really taken a good look at the numbers uh, before we were taking them in the top 70 uh, because there were enough warning signs there uh, to say this isn't going to work out well. But, um, you know, Self-included, I got wrapped up in him hitting second in that Toronto lineup and thought it was really going to work out well. Um, and he hasn't hit second, and it hasn't worked out well. Uh, I only had him one league and ended up cutting him, cutting bait uh, rather early on him. Uh, but that's another one, a guy to consider. I just want to take a look at, like, when the warning signs are there, uh, it doesn't matter what their last name is or what their previous is. Like, if there's enough body of work to raise concern, give it more credence uh, and... So I'll probably look for another story like that. There you go. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB. Uh, read my stuff over on Fangraphs, for instance, Fantasy Benefits, TGFBio.com. You can hear me on all those podcasts as well. Uh, I think I'm going to be working on my first set of ranks for 2022 to have them ready for release uh, sometime right after Labor Day weekend. So... Uh, if you are in uh, the Patreon uh, and sign up for that too, you can see them as soon as they're done there. Otherwise, you'll probably have to wait until October when I release them publicly or to, to the to the masses. Uh, and you can sign up for our Patreon over on Patreon backslash Sleeper in the Bus uh, and join our Discord, which has been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that is going to wrap us up for this episode for Jason, Matt, and myself. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season. Bye.